Welcome back, everybody, to season three of the Read Connected podcast. In this episode today, Alexis and I, we're going to have a conversation around the topic of mood. And when we think of mood, a lot of times we'll think of being depressed. And depression is certainly uh, something that has uh, really plagued our society in a lot of ways. And, and uh, we want to try to differentiate, you know, what is an emotion, what is a mood, and what is uh, depression itself. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to help people to understand, you know, what contributes to a depressed mood. And not only that, uh, but understanding the factors can enlighten what you may be able to do to address the depressed mood. You know, depression is certainly something that does plague our society. And it has many downward effects, not only on the person, but on people's families and people's relationships, uh, on people's daily functioning, even in their career, right? And it does have a downstream effect on just how society is functioning as a whole. And, and, you know, as we talked about in a previous episode, uh, unfortunately, the mental health of our youth and even uh, of our society as a whole has uh, not been great. You know, it certainly has been uh, getting worse over the past few decades. And, you know, there are questions about are we just identifying mental health challenges more openly now? And is that the reason or is there really a, a deterioration of our mental health that we need to address? And, you know, the purpose of this podcast and this episode in general is to try to help people to identify and break things down into parts because, uh, you know, some of the best things I hear about in therapy, working with individuals is therapy helps, as I always say, slow things down and, and, and pick apart the pieces that go into a person's mental health so that you can control what you can control uh, and work towards, um, you know, things be, being alleviated, things getting a little bit better uh, step by step and, and breaking it down into parts into pieces. So hopefully this episode will help people to do that around the topic of mood, we want to always encourage the listener to realize that this is not a replacement for therapy or of their professional services. And we do encourage you, if you are in therapy, to maybe bring up these ideas and with your own therapist. Uh, and if you don't have a therapist, to consider it and, you know, to kind of go through the steps of identifying who might be helpful for you, because this is the topic that is probably going to be affecting a lot of people who are listening, or at least people that you know who, if you are listening, it may affect people that you know because it's very persistent and it's very prevalent in society, just as anxiety is. And, um, you know, we talked about anxiety in the previous episode of season three and anxiety and depression go hand in hand. It's, it's, it's pretty common for people to have both. So, you know, we want to try to understand how uh, these things play a part in, in each other. And, uh, you know, part of this is addressing it piece by piece. So we're going we're gonna to dive into this topic today and we'll take it step by step for you. So, Jar, let's break this down a little bit. In your professional opinion, can you describe what mood is and what depression is? Because these words are thrown around all the time. I've mentioned before on the podcast that I think in this over, you know, psychologized world, there's a lot of terms that get thrown around. And oftentimes they are more intense than we're using them. And I just want to make sure that we're clarifying the language from a psychological perspective before we talk about anything related to mood or depression or anything else we're going to explore on this episode. Yeah. So let, let's start here. So 
let's differentiate a mood from an emotion. So a mood really is just an overall state of mind. Mm. It's just kind of your your overall demeanor in terms of how you're thinking, how you're feeling, how you're acting. Um, you can think of like the character you are, right? In, in Winnie the Pooh, right? Just kind of slow moving, um, not really feeling energetic or energized or or expressing kind of that positive emotion of happiness and joy and so forth. Um, that's a mood. It's kind of just an overall state of mind. It's persistent. It's not just fleeting. It's not just this random feeling that you have in relation to an experience. It's it's more uh, long lasting. Can I also ask a question? Is is that mood kind of like a persona or related to personality? Because if it's something that's persistent, is that mood sort of what you're putting out there to the world? Well, you're, you're getting into the question of what causes a mood in the first place. Okay. And, you know, I would say first and foremost, some people are more predisposed, um, whether it's genetic or hereditary or, you know, just kind of their... Uh, the way that they grew up, that they may be more predisposed to being in a more depressed mood or being more down and mm-hmm. not kind of energized and energetic and so forth. And some people are also, you know, introverted, right? And so when they're out with people, they may not be the life of the party or happy or joyful because they're just not in their element, right? So there's different factors that can contribute. Um, but to your question, you know, a mood is something that is just kind of with you And there are a lot of factors that go into your mood. And one of them is just your emotions, right? And your emotions are not mood. Your emotions are a reaction to something that you're perceiving. Talked about anxiety in a previous episode. Anxiety is a perception of a threat. And therefore you feel anxious because your anxiety is telling you there's a threat to watch out for, be careful of, pay attention to. Uh, And anxiety comes and goes. It's not something that will just kind of last all day, every day. It's, it's kind of a, it could be persistent for sure, but a mood is just long lasting. It's going to be there. And, and sometimes people can feel like in a depressed mood for, for weeks or for months or even for years, right? That could be a very long lasting thing. There's, there's a spectrum of, of uh, the severity of it for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting because sometimes we boil it down to like the dichotomous, I'm in a good mood or I'm in a bad mood. Right. And, and what you're saying here is that there's potentially like a whole spectrum or range of moods that might be related to emotions we're feeling, but it's more of like, you know, how we're putting ourselves out in a moment in a situation. Yeah. And you're saying, you know, how we put ourselves out there and and in some ways it's not even like wanted or or conscious sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's like people who are depressed don't really want to necessarily be depressed. There could be kind of feeling stuck and we'll get into what what contributes to feeling stuck in a, in a mood. We, we got to get into those factors to, to address them. Um, but, you know, backing up a little bit. So, so an emotion could lead to depression. So let's think about what the function of depression is. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an interesting thing when I learned about it. And it's, it's, it's something that people don't always think about. I didn't even think about it until I learned about it. But we talked about the function of anxiety being that anxiety prepares you for a threat. It helps you to be ready and prevent something that's going to be distressing to you or unpleasant or hurtful to you. That's the reason we are built in to have anxiety in our in our mind and our bodies, right? It prepares you for threat. We need that. It's helpful in a lot of ways. It could be unhelpful, but there's a lot of ways it's helpful. There's a theory that there's a function of depression too. And the function, the reason that we can become depressed is because we're trying to grieve something. And, and, and you can think of life as just a whole series of grief. You know, we, we're disappointed about things that are not going well. 
we get down on ourselves about things that we feel like are not good enough. We lose people in our lives. Um, there's significant losses in um, just, you know, changes in our life. You know, we go from high school to college to if you do that or just from one job to another. Like there's so many changes in life and you got to think about the emotional experience of change. It's hard. Change is always hard. And so we're going to feel um, sadness and loss. And, and it, this could be a day. It could happen in a day. It can happen in a month. It could happen in a moment, right? You have a friendship and someone's mad at you and you're, you're disappointed. You have a loss because you don't have that friend anymore in that moment. So you can think of life as a series of losses and disappointments that we need to grieve and work through. And the theory that we have depression for a reason as a function is actually that depression stops us in our tracks. Because you think, think about being in a depressed mood. If you've ever been in a depressed mood, you're just kind of stuck. You don't want to do anything. You just want to just stop. You want life to stop. You know, John Mayer's song, Stop This Train. Um, you just want to stop and not do the things that you used to do. You know, you know, you no longer want to go out and have fun to do things you used to do. You no longer um, you have a hard time making decisions. You just kind of feel trapped. And, and the theory behind it is that's actually getting you to stop on purpose because it's telling you, hey, stop and actually focus yourself on the thing that you're disappointed and that you're grieving so that you can process it. And until you process it, you're going to be stuck in this depression because the depression is actually trying to urge you to stop and to grieve, which is very interesting, right? It's kind of like, hey, if you're not going to grieve this, we're going to kind of keep you here. Yeah, it's so interesting to think about it this way because, you know, we'll get into this more in the episode that depression has a lot of stigma attached to it. There's a lot of people who identify as I'm just a depressed person. And what you're saying here is that we need to challenge just depression as a label and really think about what it's telling us, what it could potentially do for us and what is sort of actionable in these moments, which when you're in a depressed mood, it's really difficult to think this way. So this is why, you know, this is really the purpose of this podcast is to be able to present some information in a psychoeducational way that helps us to better understand ourselves, but also other people who might be experiencing this. And I love how you said, you know, depression and this idea of change or grief can happen over the course of a day, over the course of weeks, over the course of months. You know, it could be any timeline. But really what we're talking about is when things change, when unpredictability happens and we're in it, it can feel really heavy. It can feel like a lot that we're going through to a point where it literally stops us in our tracks and it can shut us down. So even people who might not have like a depressed mood typically mm -hmm. can kind of have that full swing of things where they just get stopped in their tracks. And I'm thinking about, you know, my own life and people I've worked with before mm -hmm. who have gotten in these, these stuck points is what I call it. Because mm -hmm. sometimes it turns into depression. Sometimes it's just like, what am I doing here? What's mm -hmm. happening? What's mm -hmm. changing? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what we do with it I think turns into the expression of, you know, an emotion or a mood, you know, that could shut us down or can activate us in some way. So I'm thinking about situations where, you know, we're talking about grief and grief is really just understanding, appreciating and dealing with the loss of something. So mm -hmm. it could be, you know, a loss of a, a goldfish, a pet, 
a friend, a person, both physically or somebody who actually passes away. There can be all different levels and versions of this, but we don't want to dismiss the fact that you can feel a sense of loss from something that, depending on your perspective, might seem simple or normal, (laughs) but it can feel really heavy in a moment when you don't know what to do with it. So like even, you know, the loss of um, an expectation, if you expect Mm -hmm. it to do really well on a test, Mm -hmm. but you don't, even though you've worked hard for it and you're excited about it, you're proud of the work you did to get there, and then you don't do as well as you expected, that can be a sense of change and a sense of grief where you have to really process like, oh, that is not what I expected. That's not what I thought was going to happen. That's exactly right. And, you know, even identity, you know, kind of going off that, right? If you feel like your identity is, oh, I'm a good student, I have to uphold that identity and now I'm not doing well anymore. Mm-hmm. How, how am I supposed to process that? And it's it could be soul crushing, right? Um, and you, the, the, I just used the word soul. Um, you ever seen the movie Soul? You have seen it. Oh, it's such a great movie. Okay. Disney a, movie, by the way. It's a Disney movie. Disney or? Uh, Pixar, Pixar, one of those. one of those. Okay. Um, <laughs> Apologies, Pixar and Disney. <laughs> yeah, they'll be all right. <laughs> um, so, um, so there's a point in that movie and something you said stood out to me um, that relates to this. There's a point in the movie where the character becomes really depressed and the scene, and I'm trying to kind of illuminate the, the image here. The scene was the, that person's soul, which is basically the character, right? was running away from everyone and everything. And the person who was trying to help that person who was depressed was like, hey, come on, I want to help you. I'm here for you. Mm. And and was chasing the person, but the person kept running away, getting angry, getting irritable, like, no, leave me alone, leave me alone. I want to be here. And I think that happens when, you know, we don't make sense of what we're feeling. It's kind of just, it takes over. The mood becomes you know, almost fused with you. It's almost like the Matrix, right? When the uh, Agent Smith, you know, puts his hand into the to Neo and it like takes him over, it becomes like part of him. And, and so this is the differentiating part, right? Is when you, you try to make sense of what contributes to the depression versus when you become depressed, it becomes its own thing. And mm-hmm. this is where this is where the clinical part is important because, you know, um, you know, there's factors that lead you to become depressed. And when you are depressed, there's also things that people do when they're depressed that kind of maintains the cycle of being depressed. Mm. And one of those things is running away. And sometimes you do have to run away to kind of process things and people can feel guilt and shame and they, they, they feel like it's too hard to, you know, they feel like they're disappointing people and so forth. Uh, there's reasons for it that you got to work through in therapy. But, you know, I'm just kind of making a point here that, there's factors that lead people to become depressed. And as we said, some of this is, you know, it's kind of just some people are more predisposed to it and, and then stressful things happen in their life that activates it, you know. But then when you become depressed, there's also you know, kind of a, a reinforcing cycle that can come from what happens when people become depressed. You bring up such a great point and I don't want to move on without coming back to it that sometimes people are going to run away from the help that exists. And I hear this all the time, you know, oh, you know, my kid, my spouse, my partner, whoever it might be, has all the resources available to them. Mm -hmm. Why aren't they using it to feel better, to get out of this depressive state or whatever they're experiencing? Mm -hmm. And to your point, sometimes, you know, there's this activation of shame and embarrassment, like, this isn't who I really am. Mm-hmm. And this is so difficult for me to, to 
to acknowledge for one, mm-hmm. like, hey, I have shifted. I have changed from mm-hmm. how I usually feel, mm-hmm. how I usually am. I'm embarrassed to be able to share that with other people. And I'm embarrassed to ask for help. So I just want to say this before we move on, that when somebody reaches out for help, that is really such a brave and courageous thing to do because it's oftentimes the most difficult thing to do. That when shame and guilt pump up and show up, you know, it's very difficult to ask for help. And this comes back to, you know, the prefrontal cortex and executive functions to be able to acknowledge, like, I need to do something different. Mm. What are my options? That's a really big deal to be able to get to that point. And often it's the most difficult to do when you're in this state, because we know the emotional connection that we've talked about many times on the podcast, the emotional connection, limbic system can actually shut down the executive function system that doesn't allow you to do the things that you might have skills to do when you're feeling these big emotions, right? Especially when you're feeling big depressive emotions um, that are triggering depression, the big emotions that are triggering depression. So we want to think about and when people are in the state, it's it's a it's a really big deal for them to ask for help. And when they don't ask for help, it's not actually their fault. It's very difficult for them to get to a point where they feel comfortable to reach out for the support. So sometimes there's different ways of supporting. So before we get to well, that, yeah, I want to elaborate on something you just said. Though, please, please. Um, you know, you said that when we become depressed, um, you know, it kind of affects our thinking, and it's true. It kind of makes your your thinking. Um, Less, less flexible. You kind of get rumination, right? You kind of just mm-hmm. repeat the same thoughts over and over. You kind of get stuck in a narrative and a thought process of thinking how bad things are, how upsetting things are, how guilt, like all those things kind of repeat, 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 um, what can, which can get you feeling stuck. And there's plenty of research actually that suggests that your cognitive functioning gets worse mm-hmm. when you're depressed, which is why people struggle at work and so forth. Um, and you lack perspective. It has a hard time taking perspective of another person, which a lot of times we need the perspective of another person to work through our depression. So that's also that maintaining part. And, and you're right. Asking for help is huge. And it's hard to get out of your head to project that things could get better. I think there's a lot of hopelessness that gets kind of built into the depression. And, and when you're depressed, it's like, you know, how are things going to get better? And that's why it's important for everybody, including the therapist, to kind of slow down that process so it's not an all or nothing. Like mm. you're not going to help someone who's depressed to like magically not be depressed, you know, like in one session or like one day or one week, like it's a process and it takes time. And, you know, it, it takes, you know, that's just, this is why it's, it's not the easiest thing to treat in therapy. Um, and, you know, we're all trying to figure out ways to make therapies more effective for depression because it's 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 tricky because there's so many factors involved. It's not one thing. There's no one theory that explains depression. You know, that's a that's that's a misconception for, for the public that, oh, it's only brain chemistry. It's only this. It's only that. There's no there's no you know, I don't think there's many people in the field that would say it's one thing. Mm, that's actually my favorite thing to say to people who have big questions about things. They're like, what do you think about this? I'm like, well, my answer, you're going to either love or hate. But the reality is, is that there is no one answer. Mm-hmm. And the greatest doctors and psychologists, in my opinion, are those who say, there is never one thing that explains everything. Mm -hmm. So we have to be super mindful of that. And in my role, not in the clinical realm, is to be able to acknowledge and validate when people feel depressed. Because oftentimes they come to me because, not, not only because they don't have the cognitive skills developed yet, but because they have the skills and they're not able to use them mm-hmm. when they're feeling 
you know, depression or anxiety and these big things come up for them. And what I want us to to normalize a little bit here is that we're always going to feel some bouts of depressive states or anxious states at different points in our life. Mm-hmm. There are going to be the ebbs and the troughs that we're going to keep going through because of change, because of the grief of what was or what we expected mm-hmm. not turning out the way it might reveal itself or happen over the course of time. And sometimes we can get attached to these labels that we just say, oh, we're just depressed, Mm -hmm. which might be your state in a moment. Mm -hmm. But the more we attach ourselves to the label, Mm -hmm. I believe, and I've seen that sometimes it makes it even more difficult to work through it. So here's here's some like literature on that, exactly what you're saying. And, you know, I don't want to, I want to make sure that people feel validated here because being depressed is, it could be crippling and, and and I don't want this to be misperceived, but, you know, there's some literature that suggests, you know, um, that we have come a long way to destigmatize mental health mm-hmm. and we're, you know, we understand there's functions of the brain that can, you know, go, uh, go awry to, you know, lead to this in part and, and, and also predispositions, right? Sometimes our, you know, our neurochemistry sometimes has lower levels of dope, dopamine and different levels of activation for different people right. and different people at different times. And absolutely. Right, right. And 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 you're fit in your environment if, if your environment is helping you or or kind of stifling you and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, but, but as we, you know, the literature does suggest that, you know, if, if the person overly emphasizes or overly identifies that this is just a brain problem, which a lot of ways help, you know, helps destigmatize things like substance abuse, right? It's like you, you, people shouldn't feel all this blame on themselves. It's going to mm. cripple them. You know, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't be like, this is all your fault that you're, 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 you have substance use issues and, and that's it. Like that's crippling for a person. So there's a lot of positives to destigmatizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also pros and cons and there's nuance to everything. And this is part of the nuance is that if people over identify with, oh, my mental health problem is just a brain problem, that um, it, it could limit what the person does actively to help themselves. And there's a spectrum to this in terms of, you know, how much this fits a particular person because everybody's different and there's different levels of severity. Um, But, you know, certainly, you know, a lot of, um, you know, people in the field would suggest as much as we're treating the brain with things like medication, like the the thing that really helps people to progress is the psychology, is, is the psychotherapy, is the things that people are doing to change um, whether it's in therapy or in their, their, their lifestyle or what they're doing or, you know, how they're navigating their life is, is what ultimately hap- helps people with their mental health. That, you know, even when people take medication is that that's a vehicle to get people engaged in their therapy process. It's not the cure necessarily, right? And we, we really want to emphasize, you know, we're not psychiatrists or, or physicians to give advice on medicine or, or uh, psychopharmacology that, you know, if you're curious about this, certainly talk to a psychopharmacologist, a psychiatrist, a medical doctor to give you guidance on this. We're just talking from a psychological perspective and executive functioning perspective, you know, in terms of working with people and, and some of the literature there. So, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, Lex, that's right. You know, we want to try to empower people. And this is, I think, that the challenge of society now is that we, we've done such a great job of validating people mm-hmm. and, and how understanding people and not just blaming people all the time. And, and it, it's a hard balance to know when it's become too far on that end that we don't empower people to help them to feel empowered to do things to help themselves and to make changes. And, um, you know, I think both are important. It's not either or. You, you know, you want to help people to feel understood and validated and not blamed, but you also want to empower people that they can, you know, make changes. And that's, you know, that's a nuance and that takes time to figure out. It's not an either or and it's not going to, you know, just you know, be clear to you at any given moment of time. It's just a, it's an ongoing process for sure. So let's talk about what actually contributes to getting stuck in a depressed mood. So thinking about the different theories, you've mentioned a little bit more about it, but let's be super clear about you know, what could potentially lead to a depressive mood? Yeah, well, like you said before, you know, we were discussing some people are just more predisposed to it. Um, And so, but there's a lot of factors, right? There's the grieving process that could happen in any given moment in time, right? Mm -hmm. There's plenty of things that we could be great. We already already covered that. Um, But even things that are just happening in our lifestyle that we may not even realize because it's normal. And you got to think of kids growing up now, right? Um, you and I are geriatric millennials. <laughs> okay, we needed some levity in this episode because, yeah. you know, it's we're talking about depression. It's a heavy conversation. And yeah. a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on this. Yes. So I, you know, I'm glad you said that because geriatric millennials... That makes me feel a little depressed, actually. <laughs> I take I take pride in it. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll, I'll no. try to reframe my thinking about it and, and do the same. Well, the idea of that that term is that you know we're the generation uh, we're at the end of the millennial generation. We're like the oldest millennials who who saw the 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 bridging between a little bit of technology and an immense amount of technology, where we're kind of yeah. literate in in both. We're like where our parents are just kind of. They, they're like, they're not digital natives. They didn't grow up with it. We kind of grew up without it and with it, but we, we were like adolescents where it really started to become bigger and stuff. So, uh, and in college and it, as time progressed, it got bigger. So we, we can see what it's like to live without being completely consumed with technology mm-hmm. and also without that as much. Obviously technology existed and this is happening forever, but the the amount of technology increase is, ex- is exponential, exponentially higher than maybe it's been in the past. So we actually were exposed to technology, digital technology specifically, as our frontal lobes were developing in adolescence and (laughs) and young adulthood. So we had that exposure, but it wasn't as pervasive as it is right now for adolescents and young adults because they have been in it since they were children, right? They've been exposed to digital technology. You know, if you're a child now or a teenager or a young adult, like you've had this in your life, your entire lifetime, which when I stopped to think about it, we were talking about iPhones the other day. When were iPhones... uh, brought to market uh, like mid 2000s mid 2000s that's like not that long ago and no. it feels like i can't remember a time when smartphones didn't exist but we yeah. live that which is unbelievable so thinking about how much exposure to information is impacting us and we've talked about this in previous episodes too yeah we have so much access to so much information and I think that can become all consuming and it goes back to 
again, thinking about executive functions, when we have too much information that's hard to prioritize mm -hmm. and organize in our brains, mm -hmm. it can become overwhelming to a point where we can get more anxious and eventually become depressed because of it, because it can like, it's almost like a system overload in our brain. Yeah, totally. So I'm thinking of a patient I work with um, who struggled with depression, right? And we, we talked about how, you know, she processes information bottom up. Like she's just constantly taking in all this information about her life, about herself, about relationships. And I said to her, you know, like there's no top down here. It's almost like you're just kind of grabbing at every bit of information to make sense of what's happening. But there's no bigger picture. There's no bigger context. There's no mm. larger process that's top down to say like, oh, okay, this, this type of stuff fits in this category. And this is how I'm going to make sense of it. It's like, well, I'm trying to make sense of it from every little detail. It's like you're you're in the woods and you're completely lost and you're trying to just find your way through every little detail that you find rather than having a map. It's like, see, you're like noticing every rock, every stone, every twig, every little bug along your path instead of just the path itself. Right, exactly. It's like, well, I'm going to kind of go back to being a geriatric millennial. So um, <laughs> uh, when I was delivering pizzas in high school, when I was like a high school junior, senior, whatever, um, we didn't have smartphones. I was using a map, right? And mm -hmm. I asked for help when I needed help, right? But that was the bigger picture idea. It's like, if I'm lost or if I need help, I'm going to kind of have something to guide me. And so, you know, I think sometimes the depression, you can kind of lose touch with these bigger picture ideas of how to process your life and how to how to move forward and, and even how to process things in your life or, yeah. or you know, what's going to guide you. Acceptance and commitment therapy is great act because it helps you identify what is important to you. What are your values? And, and that is like a bigger picture context. And you can say, am I moving towards that or away from that? Mm -hmm. And that just kind of grounds, you know, how you're navigating your life. Because when you're depressed, it's just like nothing matters. And um, I don't know what decision to make. I don't even know what I should do. Um, I'm just kind of, you know, grasping at straws and, and kind of having that bigger picture process. And so when I'm working with people too, like I, I've developed this system where I have a, a, a spreadsheet that... Um, we, we talk about, you know, what are the fundamentals of how you want to live your life? And let's look at your life as a whole. You know, that'll change. This this will evolve over time as we get older. But, you know, what are the fundamentals that are going to help you to kind of live your life in a way that's meaningful to you, that's going to be fulfilling to you? Uh, and it could be things like, you know, just being more present or or uh, even asking for help. It, it's all individual to the person, right? Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, you know, grieving a loss that you have. It could be whatever that process is, but it just orients people towards, okay, this is what I'm working on in my life and mm -hmm. this is guiding me. And then what we do is we relate that to their symptoms. Mm -hmm. How anxious are you? How confident do you feel? How depressed do you feel? How are your relationships? Mm -hmm. uh, how productive are you feeling? And what we do is we, we see a relationship between, oh, the process of your life, the fundamentals that are going to help you to feel like you know, you, you're doing something that makes sense and there's a process to how you're living. The more you move towards that and utilize that and activate that, actually your symptoms are getting better. I wonder what that means. You know, that's telling us something. So I try to, you know, give some evidence to the things that people are doing. That's so great. And I think the, um, the emphasis on workability in different points of our life is so important because when we get stuck just where we are, 
again, we've talked about this so many times, it amplifies that stuck point and we lose track of the things we care most about. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels impossible to be able to tackle or deal with. And I have to be careful in my work. I'll just add this in quickly Mm -hmm. that a lot of times people associate me and our work together as all about productivity. Mm. But when you're feeling depressed and overwhelmed, like that feels impossible. And I, and I want to emphasize this because anybody who works with a person or is in the life of a person who is feeling depressed and experiencing depression, mm-hmm. I want us to acknowledge that sometimes it's not about like just doing more things. Mm-hmm. But we're going to talk about this next piece too, that like physical habits and different things that we can do. We can be sort of action oriented once we've kind of like sat with the experience, acknowledging what's happening for us, mm-hmm. that there there could be something that's workable. And I think that's probably the most important thing for us to focus on. But I want to remind everybody that productivity is not always the answer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? It's not about just like getting through a thing because oftentimes when we feel big emotions or we're in a depressive state, we lose touch with what is important to us and why we're doing it. And if we don't have that why Mm -hmm. injected back into our world, Mm -hmm. it can make any experience sort of feel meaningless, which is oftentimes that mental state people who are in a depressive moment or experiencing depression will face. Definitely right. Like if you, you know, if you're, this is kind of a good example. If you're in school and you're just not motivated to do your work because you're in a depressed mood, First of all, let's work backwards. Like what led you to get depressed in the first place? Well, maybe your relationships are not going well. Mm. How can you not start to become a bit depressed if you don't have good relationships, if you feel isolated, if you feel lonely? And to validate that is important so people can say, oh, okay, I understand this. It's not just some plague that's taking over me. It's actually there's an emotion that led to this depressed mood and the emotion is loneliness. Mm -hmm. Okay, we identified the emotion. Let's work with that emotion and understand it. Um, and, and then that can move into, um, you know, problem solving that, you know, well, what gets in the way of your relationships? And this part is so key. I have seen this time and time again, and it's just so human nature. Everybody does it. We all do it. I think sometimes people avoid the very thing that they need to work on. They don't even talk about it sometimes. <laughs> you know why? Because there's a lot of productivity points that we need to get through in our day that sometimes <laughs> we don't have time and space to deal with the hard thing. Totally. Or they feel like it's an insurmountable thing, right? If you're mm-hmm. feeling lonely, it's like, I'm never going to make friends. And so there's a deeper belief that we also have to address in mm-hmm. therapy, which is like, okay, what is, you know, okay, so let's say that you 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 are having a hard time making friends a- in school. Or maybe you lost your friends and, and, okay, well, what is the belief that's getting you stuck? And that belief could be something like, oh, there's something wrong with me. I'm never going to have friends ever again. How can you not become depressed with those beliefs? Mm -hmm. And so part of the process in therapy is like working through those beliefs and, and, and finding a way to process that and, and finding alternatives, right? And, And looking for reasons why an alternative perspective could be true. And that takes so much courage because you have to look at the reality of certain situations. Mm-hmm. And maybe sometimes people who have a hard time relationships have to say, maybe, you know, there, there could be a, there could be so many reasons. It could be maybe 
maybe I've been stressed lately and I've been a little irritable around people and they don't like me anymore because I'm just not pleasant to be around. And maybe I have to learn how to be less stressed or address the things that are stressing me in life. Okay, that's something to address. Or maybe, you know, you're just around the wrong people. It's not a good fit. And that's not your fault. Don't blame yourself for that. You just got to find people that you really jive with, with or connect with. We talked about this in the anxiety episode where we talked a little bit about how when we get overly committed to a belief, it can really impact the way in which we navigate through different situations. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to relationships, I mean, we can get hooked on a belief that travels with us across so many different aspects of our life, mm-hmm. whether it's relationship with a teacher or with your peers or with other students, with friends, with, um, you know, as you're stepping into a, a college campus, when you're trying to figure out what relationships you even want to have, mm-hmm. when you have no other prior experience, what do you do with that? And if you're walking into it with the belief that I'm not going to make friends with anybody, there's just something wrong with me, why would anybody want to you know, talk to me, that's going to, you know, stop things in a path before you even get started. Mm -hmm. But the same goes when you're, you know, working, when you're in the workforce for adults or young adults who are trying to think about their role in an environment or in an organization. Mm -hmm. You know, how am I going to be interacting with each other? Not to mention romantic relationships, right? Like, oh, this is just never going to happen. It's always happened this way before. And oftentimes we are letting our thoughts, these like abstract things that aren't tangible, Mm -hmm. dictate what happens in real life. Mm -hmm. And that just hearing me say all this and saying it out loud is making me think, oh my gosh, like no wonder people get so stuck. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And, you know, we, we, we pull apart evidence to justify our beliefs. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, well, you know, during middle school, which by the way is peak bullying time. Mm pretty sad, right? And there's a reason for that developmentally, you know, like maybe you had a horrible experience in middle school and you're like, well, that happened. So it's always going to happen, right? Because we use the past to predict the future because we're not fortune tellers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, What else are we going by other than the past? That's a more psychodynamic view of therapy, which is like, okay, well, where did these beliefs come from in the first place? And let's resolve that and realize like, okay, that's that's using one piece of evidence to explain everything. Mm-hmm. And life doesn't necessarily work that way. You know, sometimes you got to learn from the past and it's going to actually help you to, you know, avoid certain things that could be unhelpful. But you had said something that's important when you're anxious about things and how they're going to go. Sometimes things don't actually go the way you wanted because you're so darn anxious, mm. right? If you're going to go into try to meet people and you're just completely anxious about it, you're going to have a hard time building those relationships. And that's why anxiety and depression uh, are like cousins. You know, they go hand in hand for that reason. Totally. I'm just going to touch upon that example because it, it, people don't recognize this. And I've, I've had so many conversations, especially since COVID, because it's impacted most children who grew up during COVID because they didn't have as many social interactions mm-hmm. that when you are conversing with somebody else and building a relationship, you need to be able to hold on to the information that the person you're talking to is sharing mm-hmm. using your working memory. You need to inhibit and wait for the right and appropriate time to share something and be cognitively flexible that like if the idea you have in your mind is not what the person you're talking to is is caring about in this moment, that maybe it's not the right time to share it, right? There's so many different implications that um, that come up in these moments that are related to executive function skill challenges that when you are anxious, it makes it harder 
to do these things and to be able to have an interaction, a dynamic conversation going back and forth that feels authentic. Because sometimes, especially young people who haven't developed these skills yet or has been impacted by something else that's delayed the development of these skills, it makes it really hard to develop these relationships. And it's not that there's something quote unquote wrong with the kid or the individual. It's just that these skills need to be practiced and developed. Totally. And that could be part of their process is, is practicing inhibiting themselves. It could be, you know, uh, finding different ways of developing friendships or for whatever, whatever goal you're working on. Um, and we all got to be compassionate with ourselves, right? We all got to, we all got to, you know, learn how to be compassionate without that, you know, unconditional love and the fact that we can be, you know, redeemed in some way that we can let go of things that we feel guilty about or ashamed of is, is, is one of the miracles of life that we can actually do that, you know, that we can actually, and sometimes we need someone else to help us to do that for ourselves, you know, because people really need to forgive themselves and forgive other people and to, to, to let go of things that they're holding on. And that is the grieving process that we talked about in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you can feel so hurt by people or by things uh, or how life is and it can get us stuck from from doing things that are, you know, the next best thing to do, even though the circumstances are not as you had want them to be. You know, sometimes we have to learn how to do our best with the circumstances we're in and figure out what that means to us. Um, and sometimes we need to be inspired by someone to help us to do that too. You know, that's why, you know, it, there's different, you know, there's, there's, there's so many factors, right? So I'm going to recap for a second um, because we've touched upon so many important things. And I want to recap that sometimes a depressive state or a depressive mood can come from, you know, different factors that maybe you're predisposed to, whether it's neurobiochemical or um, potentially you're, you know, in a family that has a lot of other individuals that experience depression or depressive moods quite consistently, right? That can impact a child or an individual growing up. You know, we think about this nature-nurture uh, dynamic, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we talked a little bit about executive function challenges can potentially be a factor that impacts somebody feeling depressed um, when they're not able to do the things that they want to do or that they know they have the ability to do or they want to develop skills to get to. Sometimes there's some unresolved issues or circumstances that have happened in relationships that can lead to feeling a depressed mood. There might be some unresolved feelings about yourself, right? A lack of confidence in yourself or these mm -hmm. core beliefs that you've developed over time through struggle and challenges that what your experience has been in the past will become what's going to happen anyway. So what's the point? Mm -hmm. um, and then also this like not feeling understood or validated or appreciated mm -hmm. or, you know, we hear all the time from, you know, our clients that we work with who are experiencing depression, that they feel so invalidated that people just say, oh, just you'll feel better. It'll be fine. Rather than really acknowledging their experience. And, you know, there's a lot of pieces that lead to just getting very stuck in this depressive experience. Yeah. So as you're saying, right, there are factors that can contribute to feeling emotions that could lead to depression, right? Uh, and, and, and so one part of therapy would be to work on those factors, right? You know, what led you to feel these emotions that ultimately led you to become depressed in the first place? Let's address them, you know, the things that you can control. And, and another part of it is also what's called behavioral activation. This is cognitive behavioral therapy 
you know, you had talked about this a little bit before is that, you know, when you're depressed, you don't want to do anything. That's part of that reciprocal nature of depression. You just feel like you don't want to do anything. Therefore, you don't do anything. And as I said before, there could be a function to not doing anything. And that's the first part of therapy is maybe you're pulling back because you got to process things and learn about things and work through whatever led you to become depressed in the first place. But, you know, you also have to live your life in a lot of ways, right? And you you don't want to just kind of, you know, hibernate in your bedroom for for months at a time because that's going to, you know, prevent you from getting better. So both things are important, I would say. Mm-hmm. Process pulling back and understanding the function of it to to process things and make and learn about yourself, how, you know, what led you to become depressed. And then secondly is behavioral activation, which is keeping up with things that are going to help you to feel at least a little bit better on a daily basis. And I can't tell you how many times people, you know, will tell me, you know, well, stop smoking marijuana and I went to, and I go to the gym a lot and I've been eating healthier. And and just that really has helped me to feel a little bit better and Mm. sticking up with that, right? I'm going to rewind and say, sometimes just getting out of bed is a big deal for people who are experiencing depression. Right. Feeling depressed. Right. Just getting out of the, it's the activation, it's movement. It's, it's doing it. it, Instead of waiting to feel better, you're going to act your way into feeling better. You're not going to necessarily think your way into it. Or, or wish for it, you're going to kind of act your way into it through your behaviors. So it's like, you know, that's the book Exercise for Mood that we talked about in the last episode is, you know, once you start exercising, you're actually going to feel better. I can't tell you how many patients have told me, no way, I am not going to feel better by exercising. <laughs> and all of them are like, you know what? I feel better. I'm sleeping better. Yeah. It's definitely helped me. I didn't believe it was going to happen, but it happened. <laughs> There's so much research. And actually, you know, a lot of a lot of psychiatrists will say, like, one of the greatest prescriptions is actually to get up and exercise, yeah. right? And to be able to build that into your routine. And a lot of the individuals I work with who have been depressed and have shifted by starting exercise, I will tell you that, almost all of them started to do the research and have written papers on why it's so beneficial because they want more people to understand it. And they want to understand the mechanisms behind it rather than like, oh, I just exercise, therefore I feel oh, better. Cool. So it's so cool because they're like, oh, this is why exercise is helping me and is shifting my mood. So I'm able to do more and to experience life differently. I love that. Yeah, mm-hmm. And you got to be creative with it. Do something that you like doing or that you could like doing. You know, you said mix your motivations. Like I, when I exercise, I, I watch TV or I listen to music that I like, or I'm watching the food channels, <laughs> you know, like yeah. mix it, do something that makes sense for you um, and, and treat it as an experiment. You know, we talked about this in the emotions episode of season one, you know, you treat it like an experiment. You can't just say, oh no, that's not going to happen. You got to be open to the experiment of life. Your whole mm-hmm. life is like an experiment and you won't know until you try, you know, to see what works. And, and I got to tell you, um, you know, you can really get stuck in kind of an identity of being depressed. I've seen this with people. And some people come around to kind of saying like, oh, it's almost like I've romanticized my depression mm. as if it's like an identity, like you're a movie character. Mm. And you kind of feel like, oh, this is who I am. I'm that kind of like, you can kind of take on a persona of like, oh, I'm just not a happy person. I'm never going to be, but I identify with it. And I feel like this is my, because everybody wants an identity, right? We all want to feel like we have an identity. It makes us feel powerful and strong. The, the 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 caution with this I have seen in times if you overly identify with being depressed and, and maybe that takes the stigma away and maybe there's benefits to it 
But there are times that I have seen that it prevents the person from getting better because when you attach to identity, your whole life revolves around it. And there's a comfort, there's a comfort to that too sometimes. There's a comfort, right. And that's, you know, sometimes it could destigmatize it, right? It can make you feel less ashamed and less guilt. But there's but when when you have an identity, your whole life revolves around it. Your thoughts, your beliefs, your actions revolve around it and it you got to be careful with that because it could be maintaining the depression and i've seen people who break out of that identity and they say well that that wasn't actually helping me that was getting in the way it's it's interesting and to that point i i run a college group and we were talking about what are some of the things that can get in the way of us you know working towards our goals and doing things that feel like they're in line with our values and somebody shared that they want to be more mindful of not falling into the trap of like gossiping or talking negatively about themselves Mm. or others, because, you know, something that you often say is that, um, something that you often say is that, you know, negativity will, will breed more negativity, right? Mm -hmm. It reinforces itself. So we always want to be mindful of, of what different behaviors, interactions, and ways of being are reinforcing these habits that might lead us towards, amplifying the big emotion versus figuring out ways to better identify what's happening and moving in a direction that's going to work towards your goals in a values-oriented way. Definitely, yeah. So there's pros and cons to it, right? You know, you co- you kind of co-ruminate with people, you co-commiserate with people, you feel more understood. And sometimes people need that. Maybe they don't have it anywhere else. And that's the only way they can get it. It's like, I got to talk to my friend and just commiserate about something because literally nobody else understands. Mm-hmm. There's a big benefit to that. Mm-hmm. But the, the caution as we, t- there's nuance to everything. And that I hope that's what this podcast can, can exemplify is that there is nuance. It's not like that's always going to help someone. But I want to acknowledge too that just because somebody hasn't had the exact same experience as you do, doesn't mean that they might not be able to share some insight, perspective, and support. Yeah, you know, we, we're all trying to understand each other. Everyone's different, and you know, um, we're all here to support and understand each other, regardless of our differences. And so, okay, let's go through this really quickly. I, I, we've mentioned all of these things before, but can we recap? You know, what can we do to address depressed mood? Like when you're experiencing a depressive mood or you're experiencing depression, what is something that you can do that helps you navigate through those moments? Well, I want to caution that there's one thing or a few things. There's just, you know, really depends on the person, right? And everything is so nuanced. So nuanced. For sure. And so like, you know, there's interpersonal therapy, which is based around the idea that, you know, our whole lives revolve around relationships. So let's understand what it is about how we navigate relationships, how we view relationships, um, the way our relationships are going and just address them. I'm not going to get into detail about all that. You can look up interpersonal therapy, but it's helpful for depression. And that's the reason is that it helps you to just work through all this stuff that goes on in your relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one. You know, there's other parts of it, you know, more cognitive behavioral or or mindfulness based where you, you try to get out of your head right? When we're anxious to depress, we feel like whatever thought that is going through our head is the truth. And that it's the most important thing ever, because why else would it be going through our head if it wasn't important? And so it's a way to externalize our thoughts, to look at them objectively and say, wait, just because it popped in my head, does it mean what I, do I really believe that? Or is it just something that kind of popped in my head? Mm -hmm. Every thought is not equally important or Mm -hmm. has the equal meaning to it, right? Sometimes 
this is, you know, when I work with people who have obsessive intrusive thoughts, I'm like, you know, the difference between you and someone who doesn't develop this kind of OCD is that you're making a lot of meaning out of these intrusive thoughts. You're, you're making them seem like they mean something. Whereas maybe someone who doesn't have OCD will have an intrusive thought and just say, oh, that's a weird thought. Oh, I'm not going to really think much about it. And, and, and because the person could become so scared of it or, or attach onto it or what we call fuse into it, like it becomes reality that that scares the heck, heck out of people. Yeah, and the rumination on it, just overthinking about just that over and over again can become really frightening. Exactly, right. And so part of it is changing your relationship with your thoughts and your beliefs and what's going on internally to to change your relationship with it. That's a really key term. You know, you change your relationship with what's going through your head instead of just thinking, oh, well, it's the truth because it popped in my head. Everything that I think is always true. Mm, good point. Um, you know, I, we talked about you know, just problem solving, right? Another function of depression could be, this falls into the category of grieving, right? If something's not going well, maybe there's a problem that hasn't been solved yet. Mm. And there's two directions. This is a broad way of saying it. And sometimes there's an active solution and sometimes acceptance is the solution itself. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing to figure out. What are you willing to accept? Sometimes there is something you can do about your situation. And sometimes you can just change the way you think about it and maybe accept it or just change your relationship to the situation that you're And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a couple sub bullets below that, going back to what we talked about before, that sometimes there's skills that haven't been developed that people might be trying to use in different circumstances that can lead to feeling depressed or lead to a depressive state because maybe they haven't learned or developed the skills yet. So whether it's executive function, whether it's mm communicative skills or mm. relational interrelational skills so many different aspects of our lives that sometimes we want to be able to utilize and to activate in different situations and we just can't because we don't have the skills yet or we're feeling depressed therefore the skills can't be accessed so there's that that relationship too that can get in the way yeah and like everything's a skill right like me saying to you hey Alexa uh, I need some help with something I'm confused about. That's a skill. Yeah, totally. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to understand what the skill is that the person may need to develop over time. Or even more concretely, somebody who's learning an instrument for the first time. I hear it from young people and from adults too that are like, I just want to be able to play a song and I'm just not good at this. And it's like, well, you haven't learned the foundations or the fundamentals yet to be able to get to that point. Doesn't mean you're going to be hard on yourself or get down because you can't do it automatically. But, you know, a lot of the people we work with are really bright individuals mm -hmm. who things haven't always been difficult for them, right? Mm -hmm. They've been able to use their intellect in their natural gifts mm -hmm. to get through different situations. And then all of a sudden the context changes yep. and the situation presents itself that's way more challenging than they have ever experienced before. That their natural gifts and skills and intellect can't actually get through that point, which can also be a really devastating experience for people where they just shut down and they get depressed because they think that there's something wrong mm -hmm. versus maybe I need to learn differently or I need to figure out what's necessary to get to this end point mm -hmm. rather than just, you know, skating through it and getting to it in a, a less resistant way. Yeah, that's the identity crisis, right? Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many, you know, um, even athletes I've worked with, right? They get an injury or something happens and they're not the best anymore or they can't do what they used to do to prove their worth. 
Mm. And the whole process of therapy is like, well, who are you outside of just proving your worth through uh, an achievement in sport? And that becomes actually a huge change in meaning. So part of, you know, working through depression is finding new meaning. Mm. And your meaning is up to you, right? However you want to make meaning out of something is up to you. That's a gift that we have as human beings. It's another miracle. It's like, wow, like I can literally have things not work out the way that I wanted to, but I'm going to change the way I frame it and make new meaning out of it. Wow, like that's powerful. And, and that's not to say that everybody's going to do that or have an easy time doing that. That can take a long process. And you know, got glimmers of hope, you know, sometimes as a therapist, I'm like, I'm going to show up for you, you know, I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to try to see inside of you what there is that you forgot is there, mm. that you forgot, right? You know, you weren't born how you are right now. You Maybe you lost touch with who you really are. We got to re-nurture that and re-acclimate yourself and, and bring that who you are. And I've seen people with horrible substance use issues who, you know, they'll say, you know, somebody always reminded me that I'm more than this. This is not who I really am. And they stop using substances and their life gets so much better. Finding your purpose. There's, again, a, a whole body of research on how when we understand and begin to live our purpose, that life becomes different, mm -hmm. right? It feels better. You can have more activation of joy and experience life on a little bit more clearer level. But I want to go back to your point and just that and your example of, you know, shifting away from using substances to mask some of the big feelings that you might be experiencing. Right. Because right. you're you said before that there's two paths, there's action and there's acceptance. And it sounds like, you know, to be able to do that, you need to do a little bit of both. Like the acceptance mm -hmm. of like this way of being and thinking isn't really helpful right now. Mm -hmm. And even if that's the acceptance in and of itself, mm -hmm. I think that's a good start. Like yeah. this isn't helping me to do the things I want to, to live in line with my values, whatever the end of the sentence may be. And where can I get started? And yeah. I want to go back to what we said at the very beginning of the episode that many people experience really terrible things and being exposed to not only things that we experience in our own personal lives, but mm -hmm. also that are happening around the world mm -hmm. can make us feel a lot of feels, mm -hmm. can make you feel very depressed. Yeah, of course. How can it not? And as we wrap up this episode, I want us to just go back to the point of we can oftentimes take even the smallest step to make a change in how we're feeling and how we show up every day. Mm -hmm. And maybe it is just getting out of bed. Maybe it is brushing your teeth and taking care of your hygiene. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is showing up to the gym or getting outside and going for a walk, right? All of these small steps are a part of the first phase of making that change, taking that action. Right. And I appreciate and respect people who are showing up and doing this work every day because there's a lot that could become points that lead us to feeling really depressed in any course of our life, especially now being exposed to everything that's happening in the world. So I, I want to just be really clear about the fact that you know, we've talked about the clinical side. We've talked about the behavioral side of depression. There's so much more that we can talk about here. But I think for me, one of the biggest takeaways that I hope people walk away with is the fact that we can think about 
our own version and form of acceptance and action that makes the most sense for us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when we're in this experience. And it could be even the smallest step. And I want to encourage people and those who are around people with depression to acknowledge that that's a big deal. It and, is a big deal. And we see you <laughs> and we appreciate you. Yeah. Well, and we're here for you. Right. I always say only you know what this is like. Mm. Only you know what this is like, really. I, I really want to emphasize that. Um, you know, my, my, my takeaway message is, you know, you got to forgive yourself and forgive and, 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 um, be compassionate. You know, that is a gift that we can choose to embrace. And sometimes we need other people to help us to do that and to do that for us. And, and secondly, remember that, you know, this is a theory that we go through hard times and we cope to survive. And the way that we cope to survive with terrible things that happen in our life, we take with them, we take those coping mechanisms with us throughout the rest of our lives until we realize, oh, I was only doing those things to survive something because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have any other options, like whether it's substance use or, you know, becoming an angry person or shutting down, right? Like you can think of that like, well, of course you did that. You know, be compassionate to yourself. You went through a hard time. Mm. That was your way of coping. And now you have the opportunity as you time has gone by and the circumstances may have changed. You have the opportunity to replace those coping mechanisms with something healthier, a healthier version. So instead of, you know, co-commiserating with people to have friends, you learn, oh, I can actually be more positive and develop different types of friendships as well. Not just with people I'm going to co-commiserate with all the time. You know, maybe co-commiserating was the only way I can survive because I felt like I needed to talk to someone, mm-hmm. you know, but maybe you can learn over time that there's other options to cope that are going to do the same thing. They're going to fulfill a need. And if that need is connection or using your strengths to do something to feel confident, you're going to find other versions of coping because that form of coping, maybe it helped you in that moment or that time of your life, but maybe it's not going to help you now. Maybe you got to find alternatives. We're always evolving as people. You know, part of life is evolving and growing in different ways and being open to that. And so as we get older, that's a gift that we have. We can talk to people or learn or read or go through therapy to, to learn different ways of coping and to release. And that's the grieving process. Let me release this old form of, of coping and replace it with something that could serve me now and in the future. Yeah. Change is hard and sometimes it can lead us in a different direction. And that might be challenging, but it also can be empowering. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks, Jer. Thank you, Lux. Thanks for tuning in to the Read Connected podcast. Please remember that this is a podcast intended to educate and share ideas, but it is not a substitute for professional care that may be beneficial to you at different points of your life. If you are in need of support, please contact your primary care physician, local hospital, educational institution, or support staff at your place of employment to seek out referrals for what may be most helpful for you. Ideas shared here have been shaped by many years of training, incredible mentors, research, theory, evidence-based practices, and our work with individuals over the years, but it's not intended to represent opinions of those we work with or who we are affiliated with. The Reconnected podcast is hosted by siblings Alexis Reed and Dr. Gerald Reed. Original music is written and recorded by Gerald Reed. Editing and recording was done by Cybersound Studios.
If you want to follow along on this journey with us, the Reconnected podcast will be releasing new episodes every two weeks each season. So please subscribe for updates and notifications. Feel free to also follow us on Instagram at ReadConnectedPodcast. That's ReadConnectedPodcast and Twitter at ReadConnectedPodcast. We are grateful for you joining us and look forward to future episodes. In the meanwhile, be curious, be open, and be well. Mm-hmm.